Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Chelsea, who will be sharing the journey of unexpectedly delivering her son via surgical birth and of him being a source of strength for her own healing. She hopes in sharing her story, she's not only providing a perspective for this community of listeners, but also allowing herself closure to the experience as well. Hello, Chelsea. Welcome to the show. Hi, Danielle. Glad to be here. And so are you. (laughs) Yeah, I got my son with me. He'll be four months tomorrow. And um, yeah. I never thought like it's crazy. Like I remember when I was pregnant, and now he's already about to be four months. So it's kind of like overwhelming. Right, it goes so fast. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Yeah. Um. So I'm 28. I'm a native of Chicago. I'm a first time mom. Um. Growing up, I was the only child. But I knew, like, from a very young age, like, I always wanted to be a mom. Um, I wanted to have a big family. And I just knew, like, my first child, I always knew it was going to be a boy. Um, I come from a family full of women. (laughs) So when they found out I was having a boy, like, my cousins, my aunts, everybody was just like, oh, my God. They they went all out. Uh, My family, like, really, they just, I don't know. Oh my God, I have a problem with doing that too. Like saying, oh my God, okay. Um, well, I, prior to COVID, I was working in the TV and film industry out here. And that kind of got shut down. As soon as COVID got shut down, I was out of work. I had not expected it. It was so like, it was abrupt. And then very much sooner, like what, after after about a couple of months, I found out I was pregnant. So I knew that was my whole my whole dreams of like being an actress and moving, like everything just kind of got put on pause um, due to the pregnancy because you can't work in production while you're pregnant. Um, right now, my, my mother is my biggest support right now. She has been here for me from the first day I told her I was pregnant to, to today. Can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancy after finding out how things, how did things go from there? Oh, man. So my pregnancy, mind you, I'm a first time mom. So I always used to wonder, like, I would ask people when they were pregnant, like, what is it like to be pregnant? What does it feel like? And, you know, of course, if you've never been pregnant, you have no idea. So when I found out I was pregnant, I couldn't believe it. Um, Just watching, like, my son grow, like, watching my belly grow. It was it was really a beautiful experience looking at hindsight. Um, but while I was in it, it was traumatic. Um, I was, 
suffering from depression before I got pregnant. So during my pregnancy, I just felt even more depressed. Then you got the pandemic and then I'm not working. So it was like everything just piled all into one. Um, I had to end up getting like a regular nine to five job and I worked, you know, I worked up until I was 38 weeks. It was not easy, like getting up and driving as far as I was driving to be on my feet all day. And a lot of things happen when you're pregnant that they don't tell you in like sex ed class, nothing like they don't tell you how you're going to get carpal tunnel. They don't tell you how your arms get numb, like why you sleep, how you can't sleep. And it's like everybody's telling you, you know, everything like, oh, you need to do this. You need to do that. But it is, it's, I don't know. I can't describe it. Like my pregnancy was hard. Um, my emotions were all over the place. My relationship, to me, it got worse. Um, I felt alone most of my pregnancy. Um, it wasn't a beautiful experience like I had hoped it would be. And then I was kind of mean, too. It was crazy. Like, I was real mean. Um, and then, like, the closest people to me, I kept getting into it with them. Like, and my mom, she's always like, the person you're most angry with when you're pregnant, that's who your baby going to come out looking like. And, uh... <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Uh, he came out looking just like his dad. <laughs> but um, I did not, you know, like I I prepared during my pregnancy. Like I read books. I took a hypnobirthing class. I, um, I watched so many documentaries and videos of women giving birth naturally. Like, I immediately started my birth plan. Um, I just knew I was going to have a natural a natural birth. I knew I wanted to do a water birth. It was going to be so beautiful. Um, and my pregnancy went the total opposite of how I prepared. Like, I throughout my pregnancy, I had not um, really weighed my options out as far as, like, a cesarean. Because I was so focused on delivering my son naturally, I just didn't even learn anything about a surgical birth or medical interventions. I just knew I didn't want that to happen. Um, my first and second trimester, I didn't really have any problems. It was my third trimester that everything started to go downhill. Um, my blood pressure, my my blood pressure was a little high. Um, at the time, I was at a really good hospital um, seeing an OB, OBGYN. And, you know, it was like, I guess around my, it was an ultrasound I had and my baby was measuring large. And she was like, you know, your baby's abdominal measurement is like in the 95th percentile. Um, 
I didn't know what that meant. I just was like, well, you know, what does that mean? What does that mean? And she was just like, well, that could mean a couple of things. It could mean that you may have gestational diabetes or your son may not be able to pass through the birth canal due to his size. Um, And so with that, I was just kind of like, you know, like I said, I had already had my birth plan like in my head, like I wanted to have a natural water birth. And here I was at this hospital and already she was uh, talking about, you know, a cesarean with me, with my baby, if he was to be too large. Um, And then she just made me take all these diabetes tests. And even though I was passing them, I still ended up taking the three hour test just because my numbers were a little high on the um, the one hour test or whatever. She tried to diagnose me with preeclampsia. Like I got, it was like, I just kept getting all these negative vibes in the um, hospital setting. So I was like, you know, I got to do something different if I want to have this water birth. Once I asked her, you know, I was like, well, do they do water births here? She said no. And I knew I had to leave once she told me that. So I started researching um, birth centers. And it just so happened that I used to work right when I was working in production, the studio that I was working out of was literally five minutes away from my birth center. So when I went to the birth center, I said, why does this area look so familiar? Yes, I used to work right up the street. Um, I ended up finding a birth center that had midwives and they did water births. So I took my chances. It was like, you know, everybody kept telling me like, you know, are you sure you want to go into a, you want to leave this good hospital to go to a birth center? And, you know, it was like, nobody really supported my, my birth plans either. So as far as like my birth team, I didn't really have um, a solid uh, support here. Like I had some people that supported me that were not here for my pregnancy, but it was, you know, the people who I needed most that were not giving me the type of support that I needed in the end. I often when people like opt to do something that's not traditional or, or for their family, right? Or in their friend sets, like it does become to be more like a taboo, right? Like you're not going to stay at the hospital with these good doctors. Like you're saying, like this whole setup and in, in, in your vision and what your thoughts were for your own birth didn't match up with other people and that you're already like compounding the depression, the pandemic, all these things on top of a pregnancy, I could see how you can feel um, even more isolating um, during that experience and feeling like, is this going to work out, right? Um, So once I found the birth center, you know, it was, you know, to me, it seemed too good to be true. You know, they... They have um, they have midwives that work with you, um, and then I was determined to find me a doula. Like it was like all these things that I had a checklist of doing. Um. Oh God, I'm having like 
I got like PTSD from that whole experience. I'm sorry. Um, it was like once I left the hospital, I came to the birth center. You know, everything seemed good. Like I was getting to know the midwives. They were not, they were kind of different from the hospital setting. But when I look back, not really. And I kind of, it's like, it's like a catch 22 because it's like if I had known that. I was going to end up having my son be a cesarean, I would have just stayed at the hospital um, because I ended up having my son born at a hospital that I was not <laughs> too fond of. Um, and, you know, the birth center was not in a, like, aesthetically, it was not visual. Like, it wasn't pleasing to look at. Like, it was in a not a good area. Um, it was a lot of, I don't know, like it's, um, so I started seeing the midwives and, you know, they were, I was still getting like these growth ultrasounds. They were suggesting once I got to the birth center, of course, the hospital had already said, like, my baby was measuring large for gestational age. So then it was, oh, we got to start giving you these growth ultrasounds. So I had to get growth ultrasounds every, what, two weeks or so. Um, and, yeah, lo and behold, my baby, his abdomen was apparently like really big like to the point where when I had got one ultrasound done the technician was like oh his stomach is abnormal or something and it just made me like panic I was like oh my god what does that mean because I had done like the genetic testing like I did um everything like I was taking my prenatals I was taking vitamins every day like I was I was eating a lot of fruit, a lot of vegetables. I felt like my diet was good. My only drawback was sugar. I love sugar. It was like I never in my life craved like cookies, candies, chocolates. Like that was like my thing when I was pregnant. And, you know, everybody was like, well, you got to watch what you eat, watch your sugars. You know, you don't want to get gestational diabetes, things like that. Um, so, yeah, I prepared um, my, my, my pregnancy. I did research on water births, natural deliveries. Um, I listened to birthing affirmations every night. So the birth center had me start doing the growth ultrasounds. I started doing that. And still, throughout my pregnancy, like, I wasn't gaining no weight. Like, I was I was thinking, like, you know, I was basically all belly. And I was 6 pounds, 10, 10 ounces at birth. And his dad was not a large baby. So I kept saying, like, okay, maybe my baby would be, he can't be no bigger than 8 pounds. When I was, I want to say, there was a time when my baby was, like, five pounds and I wasn't even, I wasn't even in my 
second trimester yet. It was it was weird. Um, but you know, I still kind of prepared. Like I, even though things were starting to not go the way I, my birth plan was, I still held on to that. I still held on to being positive and not stressing my baby out any more than I had already been because I was not sleeping. I was, I was sad. Like a lot of my pregnancy, I was sad. So how was your birth experience? Can you describe it for us? Yeah. Um, my birth experience, it was traumatic. It was beautiful because I got a beautiful son out of it. But it was something that I would never have, I would never have thought would have been like my first experience as a mom. Um, I labored, well, okay, so my due date was June 8th. Up to my due date, I had, um, even though I was seeing midwives, they were still sending me to the hospital because of my blood pressure. So they started then talking about um, the preeclampsia and, oh, we think you should get um, induced due to your baby size. I kept saying, no, I don't want to get induced. Um, I think I even signed a paper or something where I was like, I don't want to get induced. Um, on June 6th, I was asleep. And out of nowhere, like, I just started, it felt like I was peeing on myself. Like, it just, it was a little, it was like a gush. It felt like a gush. And I was like, okay. Hmm. Is this my water breaking? So during that time, the protocol at the birth center was if your water breaks, you got to call the midwife. You got to talk to the midwife before you come or whatever. Um, so I'm talking to the midwives and I'm freaking out. And she's just on the phone asking me questions like she's all calm. And I'm like, how are you this calm? Like, I think my water is breaking. Um. She's like, well, is it running down your leg or something like that? Like, I guess it, it depends on how much is coming out. So she was like, I want you to go back to bed and, you know, uh, try to rest. Like, use this time to rest. So for two days, I felt like, well, no, that night um, I kept, like, it kept um, the whatever it was, like, it felt like my water had broke. So she told me to come in and get tested. So she tested like the water with like this strip to see if it was amniotic fluid. And for some reason it did not turn the paper. So she was like, oh, well that could be cervical mucus or something. But to this day, I still think that it was my water that had broke. Um, so from the sixth through the eighth, I had been leaking and I was not, in the hospital, I was at home. So on the eighth is when I finally, they call it my water broke on the eighth. 
Um, and I have been in so much pain. Like I, I was, I always used to wonder like what contractions would feel like because I had experienced Braxton Hicks, but I, I was just waiting for you know like the contractions once your water breaks. I never really experienced anything. I just knew I was in a lot of pain. Um, like my back, my back was like, oh my god, that was the worst pain ever. Um, so on the eighth. It was like more like this time it was another gush, but this time it was running down my legs. So I called my midwife. I'm like, my water is breaking. So they still had me wait. They still did not tell me to come in. So I'm sitting here. I'm trying to clean up. I'm trying to pack because I'm like, okay, today might be the day. Or maybe I I just knew that maybe he would come by the night because my water had broke on my due date. My mom and his dad started packing the car up. We was, everybody was kind of like in a mid panic, but we wasn't trying to say nothing. Um, and we started our trek to the birth center. It was about six in the morning. So when I got there, you know, they want to test again. And then this time the paper had turned. So She's like, yeah, your water did break, but you haven't um, dilated. Like, I hadn't even dilated at all, but I was in so much pain. And for three days, I was like this. I hadn't dilated for three days. I labored for three whole days without dilating. When we got to the birth center, I started bouncing on my ball. I was, I have these uh, labor cards that I was doing with his dad we were I was just trying to stay awake like um I hadn't slept for like three days and I was in so much pain like I really hadn't eaten I was in a lot of pain and I don't know why but I kept saying like okay well when can I get in the tub when can I get in the tub they didn't want me to get in the tub for some reason like I don't know I couldn't even labor because that's what I thought you know you at least in a water birth you at least labor a little bit in the tub the midwife was like no um we don't want you to get into the tub until you're about to start pushing basically so I'm like Chelsea when you said you're in pain what what part of your body was in pain it was my lower back my whole body was in pain, honestly, because um, I had, like, towards the end of my pregnancy, I had, I had a lot of swelling. Like, I was so, like, I couldn't even recognize myself. It was hard for me to, like, lift my leg to get out the bed. It was just hard. Um, my lower back, that pain right there, it makes my period pain feel like nothing because that right there, I just... I wasn't even thinking about, you know, the ring of fire or anything. I was just like, this is this is worse. This is probably the worst right here. Um, and I was just exhausted. Like, I, I was just so ready for this baby to come out. I was kind of nervous. Like, it had finally hit me. Like, okay, he got to come out. Like, there's no turning back. Like, he's got to come out. And I... Did not know how he was going to come out. Because I'm like, okay, they saying my baby. My last ultrasound, 
My son was eight pounds. So in about two weeks, I'm thinking he couldn't, uh, you know, he, he'd probably be like eight or nine something. I'm like, he ain't going to be, you know, he couldn't have gained that much in two weeks. Um, I just got in the shower. I let the, I, I kind of stood in the shower for like an hour. It felt so good. I was just like, oh my God. And, you know, I, I got to offer some compassion to his dad because as much as I thought I prepared him on how to support me and, you know, what to do, he kind of just, once we got there, he forgot everything. <laughs> he was just, he was, I was like, okay, I need you to do this. Remember this? I need you to do this. Like, I didn't want to do as much talking as I was doing, but I was like, I have to because he's over here. He's hyperventilating. He's like fanning the walls. I'm like, no, you need to fan me. Like, I'm the one that needs to be fanned right now. Um, it, it, it was, oh, God, it was crazy. Um, and so I never got in the tub. And they started, you know, the midwives didn't really want to check me that much. But they were just like, okay, we just need to see if you dilated. So now I'm going on almost two days. I'm still leaking and I still haven't dilated. My midwife is like, well, by 2 a.m., if you haven't um, dilated, I would suggest that you get the Pitocin to help you dilate. So I'm like, here we go. Here go to medical interventions. Of course, once you take the Pitocin, you cannot have a water birth. And then you have to be transferred to the hospital. So, you know, for the next couple of hours, I was sitting in there like I was praying my baby would come out. I was, I was, I was using a peanut ball, like I was bouncing. I was just doing anything, walking around, trying to see if he would just budge. I still didn't dilate. Um, and on top of that, I was GBS positive, so I had to get the um, antibiotic. antibiotic. So now I'm sitting here. I got this bag attached to me, and then they had to give me saline because I was dehydrated. I wasn't eating. I wasn't drinking. Um, and, yeah, so then 2 o'clock came around. I was dilated like not even one centimeter, and I was just like, oh, my God. I, I couldn't. I was just like, are you kidding me? Like. Because I, the pain that I was feeling, I just knew I was contracting. I just knew it. I said, no, there's no way. There's no way this baby. I'm like, he finna come. He finna come. And they're like, no, he's nowhere near. He's so high up. He wouldn't even, he hadn't even descended like far, far down yet. So it was at that, it was at that moment that I just started crying. And um, my midwife was like, 
I think you should go to the hospital. Take the Pitocin. You still can have a natural birth. You just won't have a water birth. So I'm like, I had no other choice. I had to go to this hospital that I did not want to have my baby at. Got to the hospital and it was it was another so that was on the like the going into the ninth. So going into the ninth at the hospital and I'm in so much pain. I'm in so much pain. So now it's well do you want some pain meds? You want some pain meds? I'm like, no, 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 I don't want I'm I'm telling myself like I'm gonna have a natural birth. No, I'm gonna do this, I can do this. Um, they're like, okay, well, we're gonna, you know, they gave me so many hours to see if I would dilate on my own. And then they were like, if you don't dilate by this time, we have to give you the Pitocin. Um, they had a doctor come in and basically the doctor was like, once you get the Pitocin, you are most likely going to want an epidural. So they were like, you know, you always have that option. You always have that option. Um, so now we start the Pitocin. For some reason, I still was not dilating. Like, I probably had dilated to, like, four centimeters on the Pitocin. But I was up high. Like, I was, um, I had went up to almost... 18 on the Pitocin, like before I got my epidural. Um, I don't know. My body just, I won't say my body went against me, but my body just did not, it did not do what I, what it was supposed to do. <laughs> um, and so. Can we pause right here? Can we pause? Did anyone ever say anything to you about premature rupture of membranes i learned about that once like the second time i went to the hospital but not the first time that i went for the water leaking okay your son wasn't ready that's it due dates are guesstimates and he wasn't ready. That's it. If you came in and usually if there's a membrane rupture, there's usually either some type of health issue with your body or baby's body. And it's like a alarm bell, right? Um, and it could be stress. It could be an actual physical illness or something going on inside of your body. And it can cause a rupture of the membranes from that. When you got to that half a centimeter, that was progress. But because your membranes are ruptured, you're kind of on that clock so because they don't want you to become infected. So that next step of going to the hospital and getting to four centimeters with Pitocin after giving your body that time to try to catch up to what they were trying to do, right? Because now they're just on the clock trying to make sure nobody else gets sick and gets, you know, between you and baby. And so these two ideas of all these 
the birth plan and the ideas and preferences and what was going on. They just didn't match this time. Your body was doing what it was supposed to be doing. Okay. When you intervene with what's natural, the hormones that are oxytocin that actually naturally does this when it's time. When the baby's actually ready, especially since you said he was high. Now, you said he was low, and I would say, well, maybe he just wasn't positioned correctly to come down on your cervix the way that he was supposed to. But he was never even there to be engaged well, no, in the pelvis. He was. He, at, at that point, he was? Okay. He was always and, in the position to, uh, I forgot, he was head down my entire mm-hmm. pregnancy. Um. And he was, I think his head was against my spine okay. or something like that. Which was causing the back pain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's because his, his the back of his head was, was hitting your spine. And so he needed to actually be the other way. Mm-hmm. And that can cause labors to go longer. It can be more painful. It's always important to put the pieces back together. Okay, because in because it's fragmented, it's and, and labor itself is not this straight line, right? Just how as you tell it, it just goes here, there, around this way. <laughs> uh, it's never a straight line, and I don't want you to get caught in my body failed me, this whole system failed me, and I'm not gonna not whatever somebody else did. I know it to be true because you're gonna tell me more about it, but um. The experiences with the midwives and, and being having to transfer to a hospital that was completely unfamiliar to you, um, and just that not having enough time in your mind, as this it, it's that's how it becomes traumatic. You don't have enough time to reset, right? It's just like a big snowball coming, yeah, and you start to lose control of the few things that you felt like you had control of to begin with. Exactly. So when you were at four centimeters, tell me, tell me, pick up from there. So they started the pitocin, and like I said, I, I was almost at um, 18, because I think the most you can get is 20. Um, and I was like, I can't take it anymore. I was delirious. My mom and his dad were just short of arguing in the room. Like, it was a lot going on. It was just like, you know, my mom was like, well, I think you should get a C-section. Like, by then, everybody was starting the cesarean talk. Um, They had all the, like, almost every hour, a different doctor, a different midwife come in and say, well, we need to start talking cesarean and da-da-da-da. So I'm just like, I didn't want to hear it. I was like, I still want to try to push my baby out. At this point, I had gave in. I was like, just give me the epidural because I couldn't take it no more. And I, I hadn't even slept. And they were like, well, maybe this, uh, you know, this will help you sleep some too. So I got the epidural. I probably got a little bit of rest. Like I feel like after I got the epidural, since. <laughs> Like you said, I was on that that uh, clock due to not having the 
amniotic fluid. I feel like I didn't even rest shortly after it. Uh, the midwife came in and tried to get me to push because by then I had went to about nine centimeters. Um, Cause I think you go up to 10, is it 10? Yeah. Okay, so I was almost there. I was almost there. When I finally hit 10, it was a little after I had the epidural, midwife was like, all right, let's try to push. Let's try to push. I pushed, I pushed, pushed, pushed. And I could feel his head. The crazy part is I felt his head like in my, um, I, I felt it in my vagina. I was like, oh my God. Like I felt it like he was going to come out type. It was crazy. Or maybe, um, but when the midwife was checking me, I guess he wasn't zero yet. He was still like negative something like he wasn't station zero. So she was like, okay. Well, we got to get him to such and such. So I'm like, okay, I'm pushing, I'm pushing. And then I'm just, you know, I'm getting exhausted. Like, I'm just like, oh, he wouldn't budge. Like, he would not budge. And lo and behold, I got a cervical lip on my cervix from pushing. He would not come down. She was like, she had got to the point where she felt his head. But it was still not to, like, the crowning point. Like, I never crowned. I never got to that. Like, he's, he wouldn't come past that cervical lip. Like, she couldn't get rid of it. The, oh, um, I, I literally have received every medical intervention before I accepted the cesarean. Like, they even gave me the balloon to... Um, to time my contractions or I don't know. I forgot what it did, but they, it was, they did so much for me. And I look back and I'm just like, you know, nobody really advocated for me either. I advocated for myself, but it was only so much I could do because I was in pain and I didn't really, you know, I, I just didn't want to keep fighting with the, the hospital staff. Well, not fighting, but I, I didn't want to, I just wanted my son to be safe at that point. I just really wanted him safe. Um, by then, they started talking cesarean. When the midwife told me I had a cervical lip, she said, she looked me in the face. She said, you're doing a great job, but we got to get this baby out. I'm going on. Um, almost three days with no amniotic fluid and um, my baby's heart rate was starting to get like he was getting a little um, he was getting worked up did they offer you a amnio infusion mm -mm. they actually put saline back into nope. the womb with the baby and it's supposed to Replace the amniotic fluid, help baby's heart come back down. Nope. I didn't even know you could do that. Yeah. I wish I would have known because um, it was revealed to me that it was due to me not having amniotic fluid that that's why he wouldn't come. Like, 
how I needed him to. So it's very interesting because you didn't know it, but they knew it. They knew that that was something they could offer. They knew that it was something that was necessary at the point that you have been leaking for days. And I don't want to like get into like the whole race thing, but of course the whole staff was white. And um, I left a black OBGYN. What's crazy is the, 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 the OB doctor at the Better Hospital, she was a black woman. And she told me at my last visit, she said, um, she was just saying, like, I really think you should do a cesarean due to your baby size. And, you know, I'm just looking at her like, huh? Like, she didn't even really support me with the water birth. She was just like, you know, babies are not meant to be born in water. Like, she was just super... um projecting on me and I was like I ain't like that but I was I was like oh okay so um now we get to the cesarean and that's kind of really a blur because I couldn't like I literally was in shock I couldn't believe that this is what was about to happen because I was just I was just like, get this baby, get this baby out, just get him out. And I, I just cried because I, I was like, you know, I was talking to the, as they were prepping me, I was talking to the operating team, and I was just like, I want his dad to cut the umbilical cord. I want his dad to be the first person to touch him. I want him to be the first person he sees. Um. Of course, none of my wishes were, um, they didn't, they didn't give me that. Um, all I remember was I was so, like, medicated. I felt like I was in a different world. To me... Nobody, like, I felt everybody's energy in the room, and it was not positive. Like, it was like, let's just hurry up and get her out of here. Like, get on to the next birth. And that made me so scared because I was just like, my baby's about to be born into this environment. Like, you know, they wouldn't even let his dad see over the the thing, the drape. And all I remember was, I felt like some tugging. Like, I did feel that. Like, it was weird. I I felt them tugging and stuff. And then I just heard my sons cry. Because I had kind of was in and out. Like, I was in and out. Um, I guess I fell asleep during some of it. And then I just remember hearing my sons cry. And I woke up immediately. And I promised for, like, a millisecond. It's like they showed me my baby over the drape and then took him away. I said, like, he didn't even come near me, like, to my face or nothing. It was like I had to kind of just look at him, and then they just took him away. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I I was out of it, but I was inside. I was, like, screaming. I was screaming for help. I was just like, wait, what's going on? Why are y'all taking my baby? 
um, during my recovery, I just, I started having a fit. Like I literally was just short of cussing the hospital staff out. Cause I was like, where's my baby? Nobody was showing me my baby. All they were telling me was my son has swallowed meconium. He had fluid in his lungs and I had lost so much blood that they were almost about to give me a blood transfusion. Um, so to me, it was, they were like, you know, it was not a good situation for neither one of us. Um, and I, I didn't know where his dad was. I didn't know who was with my baby. Um, you know, obviously they did not save the cord, the placenta. They washed him immediately. Um, and, you know, it, it's just like everything that I wanted for my son did not happen for me. Um, his dad, what, so then it's like with the whole umbilical cord, I'm, I'm looking directly at the person who I said to save some of the cord. And she left like a little bitty stump, like after the little clamp, like it was just so like, she was so, she was just like, I saved what I could. And I was just like, what? Like, you know, so of course, once the cord is cut, it starts drying. So it was like my son was away from me for eight hours before I even saw him. So as soon as I had him, I didn't see him for eight hours after I gave birth. Um, and I was crying. Like I was, I was like, where's my baby? Where's my baby? What are y'all doing with him? Where's he at? I don't want to talk to nobody. I was in so much pain from the cesarean, but I was thinking about my baby. And then I found I found out how much he weighed and I almost passed out again. When they told me my baby was 10 pounds, three ounces, I said, what? I was like 10 pounds. So in my head, I'm thinking my baby is like a whopper. Like he's huge. Like, and everybody's saying that like, oh, you're the one with the 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 big baby and I'm just like oh my god like it was just this energy around my son's weight that just had me like oh my god and then my mom and his dad are like he's so beautiful he's so long he's this he's that and I'm just like I they were gonna show me pictures but I kept saying like I don't want to see no pictures I don't want to see no pictures I want to see him like can I see him no we have to for some reason they would not let me see him they did let his dad sit in the nursery with him which meant I was, you know, by myself. Um, my mom, because, of course, he was my 24-hour person. My mom had to eventually end up leaving. So I sat by myself in my room crying, screaming, wanting my baby. I didn't know where he was at. They finally came in, and they were like, yeah, he's in a special nursery. Um, he's got, you know, I, he, he wasn't breathing. They telling me all of this stuff, like he wasn't breathing, he's not eating. That was another thing. I wanted to breastfeed and him being in the nursery, oh, we have to give him formula. Like, oh my God. So <clears throat> it was almost midnight that night. I was on my way to the nursery. And when I saw him, he was asleep. 
And he was so long. Like, it's crazy because when you hear 10 pounds, you'll think like, oh, like, you know how you see like the baby with all the rolls and stuff. Like he was long. Like he was not a big baby to me. And I couldn't believe he was so long. He was what, 21 inches? 20 inches? Well, 20 inches at birth. But um, he had like tubes in his nose, in his mouth. He had an IV on his hand. Um, that IV on his hand had like, it looked so painful to me. Like I had to, basically I had to complain about it because the way it was in my son's hand, it just looked uncomfortable. And I was like, y'all have to take this out or redo it or something. And they, they were just real, the, the, the staff was just not, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the words, but. My compassionate right they didn't have no compassion it was like my son was asleep when I first walked in and when I um I wasn't able to touch him he was in like a incubator but I was able to like put my finger in there um I like touched his hand and he opened his eyes and I just started crying and I was like Oh, like I just had that moment. I was like, oh my God, I was just talking to him. I was like, this is your mom. And I'm, I'm like crying. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. So I probably sat in there for like an hour with him. And then I, they kept saying like, you should go to your room and get some rest. Go to your room and get some rest. Um, the next day I came and saw him. Um, he was on oxygen. His oxygen went down, so I guess he was starting to breathe a little better on his own. Um, we didn't leave the hospital. We were in there for three days, so after he was born. So by the second day, he was off. He was out of the machine. He was off the breathing tubes, and then I was finally able to hold him. And I think that was emotional for me too because my baby had all these people touching him except for his mother and that was so that was probably the hardest part for me because I have felt like they had took away our connection at that time I don't feel that way anymore but um, like I didn't do the golden hour. Like I didn't get to do any of that. Um, but yeah, my baby, he was, lives up to his name because he was victorious in, um, his, his birth journey. I wrote. Absolutely. Yeah. Victorious yeah. together. Yeah. You both survived that. And, um. You both survived that. You know, that, that was. Really, you know, that was really it. Uh, I won't even get into how the staff was treating me. Because at that point, I was just like, I'm, you know, I don't want to make people mad that's taking care of my baby. So that was another thing. I'm just like, just, just deal with it. And then having to deal with the healing of a cesarean is not pretty. And, um... My son, when he finally was able to, he was finally able to sleep with me the last night before we left. 
he was able to come into the room with me. Because even then, um, after he was born, and they would tell me, I didn't take advantage of it, of, you know, really, truly resting, because I, I just wanted him so bad. He was able to sleep with me that night, and I started to, you know, pump, get the, get my milk flowing. That didn't last a long time, but he was able to get some of my breast milk. I was just not happy. Like, I was not happy with my whole overall situation, but I was happy that I had my son. I was happy that he was able to get off the oxygen and the IVs and he's here. He's like, what, 14 pounds now? <laughs> My whopper. <laughs> I see why you, you stressed that it was traumatic for sure. Um, once you got home, um, I know you said there was like currently PTSD and anxiety. Um, I know that my understanding is that there was also some postpartum depression, anxiety as well in the immediate portion of that postpartum period. How have you been able to work through that stuff? Um, well, it's definitely been a roller coaster ride. Um, postpartum, it's like I love my son, I love being a mom, but it's like remembering when. You know, I was able to sleep and go out and do stuff. You know, now I have a whole, I have a whole nother human. Got a little more brain power. I got, I got to use. Um, but I have, I've started therapy, and it has helped. I'm in a postpartum moms group. It helps talking to other moms and, um, hearing that. You know, I'm not alone, and these are moms that the postpartum group that I'm in is a bunch of moms who either had their babies at the birth center that I was going to have my baby at or at the hospital, and I've developed relationships with one of the moms who had her son at the same hospital, and we just, we have a lot to talk about because she had a lot of similar things happen to her that happened to me. And, um, you know, just, I don't want to say like not, like putting me first, you know, making sure that I'm okay before I do something, you know, for my son. So like, I got to make sure I'm okay in order to take care of him. And it's like, of course, you want to put your, your, child first but mental your mental health is very important and you have to you have to you have to do whatever you have to do to keep it you know positive um like I said my mom has really helped me a lot my aunt um she lives in California we talk almost every day um I send her pictures of the baby actually we just came back from California a couple weeks ago. He took his first plane ride. Um, and just, you know, talking and maintaining, you know, those relationships. Um, taking this time to bond with my son. Postpartum is, 
it's every day for me. It's not, I still kind of do feel down some days, but I will say as crazy as my pregnancy was and my birth, my son is so chill. Like he is really, honestly, he only cries when he's hungry or wet. Um, or has like a dirty diaper, but he is like so chill and he, he's so like, he's a happy baby. I'm so happy that he's happy. Um, that was like one of my things. I was just hoping that I hadn't imprinted on him, you know, when I was pregnant, being sad and down 80% of that time. Um, I was just hoping that I hadn't scarred my little baby in the womb but he's so happy he's he's alert <laughs> and he's just you know he is really he is something else like watching his personality is just I love it like he is so funny to me and he looks different to me every day so I'm happy to hear that when I think about your birth and your pregnancy experience and I feel like there's space for grieving what you want it to happen, what could have happened. Um, and part of that process, of course, is, you know, stepping into that therapy, showing up for yourself in that way, um, but also showing up for yourself and your son every day, um, taking care of him and providing those things that you do, um, you are still able to do with him and for him. When you think about the whole of it. Have you had an opportunity to do something like actually request your records from the birth center in the hospital? No, but I would, I want to do that. I want to go get my medical records from there. I encourage you to do that because it also puts together this picture. Like there's everything, you know, that happened and then what was written about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's important to know what's true what's right, what's wrong. Um, it helps put that whole picture together in your brain. It even takes it, gives you an opportunity to know, like like you said, I don't want to put race on it, but what else was there, right? When you look at it in black and white, you look at those records and you say, what would make someone treat us like this and what's different, right? Why are we treated like this? Why did this happen the way it did, when it did? I mean, an amnio infusion, like I said, should have, could have happened. Some midwives, some providers do let people push when they're nine centimeters with a lip. But the reason why they don't and they prefer that you wait for 10, much closer to nine to 10 with a lip is because you'll tear your cervix, right? Which is what happened. Or that it will swell, which could cause issues. It seemed like there was just some, a lot of missteps um, on a part of your medical providers that you don't need me to tell you that, right? You already um, know that yourself. And it's, it's good to see it in black and white, what's in your records, and that you can dispute things that aren't quite true or are not documented correctly. Um, yeah. that, I think that that helps with your process as well, right? Not that you have to keep digging into it, digging into it, but I think it's important for you to see everything and how that you know, how that was help support your own healing process, because it is ongoing. It's not something that you just say, I talked about it one day and now I'm done and it's over with, right? It's a daily process. It's you, you know, just like triggers, different things that come up for you that remind you of parts of that process. Um, 
even down to knowing like, were they checking your, your iron? You know, why were you bleeding out on the table? Well, your life has value. Your son's life has value and you're important to us. I mean, I, I look back and I, I look at it as if they did what needed to be done to get him here. My son fought and he, you know, he was able, like he, you know, from the time that he was in the NICU, he progressed every day. So it wasn't like he had any setbacks or anything. As much as I want to go in like, I am one, going to get my medical records. And two, this time when I read through it, I want to read through a different lens. I'm on the other side, so let me go back. Because even when I asked his dad, like, you know, well, what happened in the in the operating room? Can you tell me? I don't know if he maybe doesn't remember or what, but it's like I have no real recollection. I have no real recollection of my baby being born. And you know, I'm kind of sad about that. That that's sad to me. But my baby my baby is here and <laughs> I'm watching him grow every day and he's um definitely a handful. <laughs> definitely a handful. Um his mom, like I said, my first baby. Will I have other kids? <sighs> I don't know, because even with me, like, not even knowing why my son came out 10 pounds, I'm like, what? I, I feel like it's genetics, though, but, I mean, I did eat a lot of sweets. Like, I, oh, God. Sweets was my kryptonite. Um, I don't know. But, you know, my baby didn't have any... Um, like, he, he didn't have any glucose issues or anything, so I was happy about that. And, yeah, I I honestly thought, like, this, ep, like, me doing this was going to go smoother than how it's been. But, I mean, I guess because I got the baby, but I, I thought it was going to come out a little smoother. And it didn't because it's like as I'm talking, I'm reliving it. And I'm like getting anxiety, like my heart's beating real fast. So I'm sorry that I had like so many distractions, but you're fine. This was, I, this was hard. I, it is. It absolutely is. Um, I had everything written out. I didn't even like, I literally wrote out what I was going to say. And I was just like, I can't even look. I'm like, well, from my perspective as someone that has listened to over a hundred birth stories, um, it is on target for how your birth experience went and in what stage you are in your healing. He's only four months old. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm thankful to have you here. I am. I'm thankful that you, you made the space for yourself today and that you've pressed through this entire time to finish it. I'm glad that you and Laurel have this platform because I remember when I first started listening to your podcast, I was like, 
I can relate. I can relate. Like I, it, like I'm a little behind because of the baby, but I gotta catch up. But I was just like, I listened to this podcast my entire pregnancy, and it, it helped. It really helped um, to hear other people's stories and how you even give people this platform to talk about it. Um, so for that. I'm grateful for you guys as well. Is there anything else, Chelsea, that you could think of you want to share with our listeners? It could be advice, resources, or anything else from your birthing experience that you think is important that may have gotten left out. I would have to say to all the moms, you are not alone in your journey. I salute you. Be kind to yourself. And you were made for motherhood. Even when it looks like you don't know how you're going to get through the day, you got this. We got this. And uh, we amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. You made it. Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. 